Hello and welcome to One More Life, the gaming podcast from RadioTimes.com. I'm your host Rob Lean and each week I'll be joined by a new guest to learn about their life with gaming. This week's guest is none other than Trisha Hirschberger, an absolute gaming and tech expert who spoke to us from her home in Los Angeles. Trisha is a YouTuber, a Twitch streamer and a TV host that you may have seen in all sorts of places over the years, including SourceFed, IGN, The Escapist, Geek and Sundry, MTV, Disney XD and Nerdist to name just a few, there are literally loads more than that. This was a really fun chat where we covered everything from our dreaded backlogs of unfinished games to the big upcoming titles of this year and Trisha's favourite story-driven RPGs. So without further ado, let's load up that conversation. Trisha, thank you very much for for coming on the podcast. Obviously, you've been kind of working in and around the gaming space for a little while now, but I'd like to kind of start right back at the beginning where possible. Um, I was wondering what were some of your very, very early memories of games and gaming and getting into it in the first place? Well, I originally got into gaming. um, Some of my friends and kind of older cousins had some very, very early what we now know as home console units in their house. So I'm talking like Atari level uh, or I'd see people have the 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System And I thought, this is awesome. I want that. Like, I played a lot of board games, but I always had to convince my parents to play with me. I was not an only child, but my uh, next oldest sibling is five years younger than me. So video games to me were like board games that I didn't have to beg somebody else to play. I could just play them. So that was great. But my parents, I mean, as most parents were at this time, my parents were not into gaming or that kind of stuff at all. So they had no idea what I was talking about. So bless my father someone he worked with was getting rid of a COM 64. And he was like, oh, that's video games, right? I think that's what my kid's asking for. So my father actually brought home like a secondhand Commodore 64. And this was while all my friends had the Nintendo. (laughs) (laughs) So some of my earliest gaming memories are like the old text-based adventure games, like Zork and stuff like that on a COM 64. And then I eventually begged my parents to get me a Nintendo. So while all my friends upgraded to Super Nintendo, (laughs) I finally got a Nintendo, which then made me the kid that could garage sale all the Nintendo games. So I ended up with a collection of something like 175 Nintendo games that I had gotten at garage sales. Um, So I played a lot of the Nintendo Entertainment System back in the day. And then after that, my parents said, this is too much. No more video games for you, young lady. (laughs) Um, And at that point, I ported over to PC games where I played a lot of Monkey Island and King's Quest and Return to Zork and Doom. And then I kind of firmly settled in the PC gamer space until I was old enough to buy myself new consoles, which was closer to like the PS2 era. So yeah, I mean, my (laughs) my gaming history goes back quite a while. And I feel like I have a little bit more knowledge of the retro systems than a lot of other folks my age as a result. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny. It's like I love that. It's like the logic of a of like a parent and a child. It's oh yeah, playing games on a computer. It's totally different. It's much you know much better for, for kids to be on computers. Well, you know, you need a computer for work, right? <laughs> um, I, and I'm putting for work in in uh, in quotations there for schoolwork. You need a computer for schoolwork and also games. But like parents don't need to know that. <laughs> and I'm right in saying you got into like kind of modding and jailbreaking your own computer and stuff quite early because of that as well. Yes, absolutely. So I I remember thinking it was something like, oh man, I'm looking at this box for Doom and it needs 4 MB of RAM. I don't know what any of that means. But my father, who's an auto mechanic, 
is real good at fixing stuff from like a hardware perspective. So he was down to help me figure out how to get 4 MB of RAM. And the fact that we only needed four megabytes to run that game tells you how long ago this was. <laughs> but yeah, I learned pretty early. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, my dad's a mechanic as well. And he just, you never need to do anything. It's great. <laughs> anything technical, dad. Yeah, dads are great. Uh, my parents, uh, I, I found out they were working off a PC. They don't live near me. I found out they were working off a PC that was like 10 plus years old. So I, I put together a, a PC for them and shipped it to them. But in shipping it, I removed the graphics card because, you know, GPUs in shipping, they're heavy um, and it can break the motherboard. And so anyway, I removed the graphics card and uh, I called my dad and said, OK, did the PC arrive? I made an instructional video for you on how to put the GPU back in. And he was like, yeah, I already did it. <laughs> you, wait, you what, dad? <laughs> That's a very expensive uh, thing to mess up. And he was like, nah, I already did it. It works fine. The computer's great. And I was like, <laughs> I just shoved it in there. It was fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's basically, yeah, he just shoved it in there, basically. <laughs> um, but again, shout out auto mechanics for just being able to figure stuff out. Way to go, dad. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've done better than me, though, in that it sounds like you're quite technically minded yourself, whereas I've just completely outsourced everything like that to my dad. Like, if I was trying to put something into a PC, I'd probably call him rather than the other way around. Oh, well, you know what? If you ever want to build a PC, let me know. Uh, that's that's kind of my area of expertise now. Awesome. I, I will take you up on that. <laughs> are there any kind of games from that like early era for you that really kind of like stuck with you or that you wish would kind of make a comeback or that more people have played them or anything like that? Oh man, so many, so many. And a lot of them are making a comeback. We're like in the golden age of video game nostalgia right now. Um, but because I spent so long with the 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System, I mean, games like, of course, Super Mario Brothers and The Legend of Zelda are still going very strong, but like Paperboy, Bubble Bobble, Excite Bike, DuckTales had a remaster recently. Contra, Double Dragon, those are all great. And uh, we have seen kind of the resurgence of the old PC games. We're in a big retro FPS resurgence right now. Monkey Island got redone. We've recently had a King's Quest. So yeah, it's a good time to kind of look back at that 90s era of gaming. Um, and yeah, yeah, we're still living in it. It's awesome. Yeah, it does make me feel older every time it's like here's the new retro mini console and it's like well i had the original of this <laughs> now do you still have the working originals no I, I have like none of my early stuff anymore so i have two older brothers and a sister so i wonder if our like because we had sega mega drive we had ps1 i wonder if they are gathering dust with one of my siblings somewhere or if they've been uh, gone like say to the garage sale at some point <laughs> they may be or honestly they just stop working at some point you know we all kind of blew in the end of our gaming cartridges and jiggled them around enough that we probably did damage to the system and the hardware after a while. So it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. And then some things like I was trying to play, because I've still got my Game Boy Color, I was still trying to play Pokemon Silver, like relatively recently. I was like, oh, I just want to, you know, have, have like a bit of a retro time with that. And um, the and I looked it up and it's apparently a common thing that like the day-night cycle in the game doesn't work anymore because it had like a little... The, the chip that would monitor time would like fritz out and die after like 20 years or so at some point it had just given up like yeah like it still plays but it can't like tell you when when is it night time or anything like that okay well at least you can still play i'm uh rediscovering pokemon myself right now i uh was just like a little bit 
uh, a little bit old for, uh, I never had a Game Boy, but, and then I was like a little bit old for the card game when that released. I was already playing Magic the Gathering. But my son now, I have a son and he's very into Pokemon. So I'm getting to rediscover it through him, which is really cool. Nice. What, uh, what's his favorite Pokemon or what's your favorite Pokemon? Oh man. Uh, <laughs> my favorite Pokemon is probably Flabebe. Nice. <laughs> it's fun to um, say as well. Yeah, I think Flabebe's name is hilarious. And also, <laughs> like many Pokemon, she's so cute. Uh, very cute, but also very powerful. But yeah, the Pokemon thing is very strong in my house right now. Yeah, it never it never dies. Like, it just seems to every gen every like new generation that comes through are still are still mad for it, which is good. Mm-hmm. Zooming out slightly in kind of your whole life, what games do you think you've put the most kind of sheer time, sheer hours into? Oof, there are so many over the years. Diablo and The Sims and Heroes of Might. And, well, Diablo and The Sims were really popular uh, in my college years, which I had a lot of time for gaming then. Yeah. So I definitely sank a lot of hours into those games. Heroes of Might and Magic and Rampage are probably the games I sunk the most hours into as a kid. Rampage on the original NES, because that was back in the time where there were no game saves. So if you were going to beat a game, you had to just do it in like one big chunk. Um, And so there were so many times that I got four or five hours into Rampage and then my mom would make me turn off the console and I'd have to start all over. So by the time I finally beat that game, I probably had hundreds of hours into it. And I think I did it during a sleepover with a friend. (laughs) And Heroes of Might Magic was just it was one of my first turn based strategic games that I played. And I just fell in love. And to this day, that's a genre I really enjoy. Um, And I'll, I'll sink a lot of hours into that as well. And how did you come to be like covering games, talking about games for uh, a living? What was, I imagine there weren't many jobs like that. No, uh, there definitely, I, I didn't even know that was a job one could get. I just played a lot of video games as my hobby. Um, but when I went to college, I studied theater. So my degree is in classical theater. And I had moved to Los Angeles in the hopes of becoming an actress, you know, and, and being able to make a career in television and film and commercial work. And one day I kind of tripped and fell into an audition for, um, they said they were casting for a news reporter, but they were also kind of sideline casting uh, or subtly casting news anchors for a channel that would cover a lot of different fandom topics. So video games, anime, tech reviews, comic books. And I didn't know that. No one knew that going into these auditions. So they were looking for news hosts first and foremost, but then on the slide, kind of looking for people that could cover other stuff. So I did my audition. I did my read and it went fine. But then they started asking me questions that I thought, this is really bizarre for a news audition. They'd ask me if I played video games, what video games I liked, if I read any books or liked any specific shows, if I read any comic books. And I remember leaving that audition thinking, I don't know what job that was really for, but I think I nailed it. (laughs) And they called me in for a screen test the next day. And that led into a three-year full-time job on a YouTube channel that became very popular, where uh, I was hired to be a full-time on-camera presenter and not just presenting, but we we would write our own scripts for that as well, research and write our own scripts. So I kind of <laughs> got thrown into games journalism without really having a journalism degree or any background in it. I was just an enthusiast that was put on camera. Um, so I did have the on-camera background and I had to learn the rest of it. But I, up until that point, I hadn't even thought about 
you know, being able to merge my hobby and what I had trained in for my career into one thing. But ever since I realized that that was a possibility, I, I was on board. You know, everyone's dream, I think, is to have a job doing what they love. And, you know, like any job, there are parts of the job that you do not love. <laughs> but really, I get to have conversations like I'm having with you right now about PC building and smartphones and gadgets we can take apart and put back together and video games and tabletop games and comic book characters and fandom. And it's it's really quite incredible. Have you kind of seen the conversation around games has changed over the years? I feel like when you first started, was it maybe like a lot more weight was still being put on games magazines and things like that? And it's become more and more video led? Or do you think it's always been a bit of both. It's definitely an interesting conversation. I do think that, you know, you can go all the way back to the days of Nintendo Power. But at the time that I got into it, written editorial reviews were still where it was at. And so doing like video reviews is kind of what I started in, which was strange because it was still the editorial review just in video format. And now we've seen the industry and the discourse really move to uh, less of a review structure. Nowadays, people just want to see a game in action and then decide for themselves if it's something they think they'll like, which I like that format a lot better. In general, I'm not about yucking anyone else's yum. And if hundreds or thousands of people have put a lot of time and energy into creating something, I think it's very egotistical for one person to say, my opinion is objective fact and this is good or bad or, you know, whatever. So I think in general, the gaming industry has kind of moved away from those really hardline number score reviews. There are, of course, still written editorial places that do them. But even when we started doing video reviews, we would tend to go with more of a, um, a fluid review structure where it's like, would play again, would not play again, would buy, would rent, that kind of thing, as opposed to a number score. And nowadays, honestly, in my own content, I never give a review score. I can say like, here are things I enjoy about it. Here are things I'd like to see different about it. But you decide for yourself, just because it's not my cup of tea doesn't mean it's not yours. So you have now seen it and you're an adult. You can make a decision if you think it's something you would enjoy. <laughs> it's subjective. People have different tastes and like some people love types of games that I don't and vice versa. And that's just the world. It, it feels like people want it to be like, oh, this game tanked and it bombed. But you can still probably find people that loved it. Exactly. And that's why, you know, whether it be in any form of art, whether it's movies or books, there are cult classics for a reason. Maybe they weren't super commercially successful, but they found their people later on. I think there's a shoe for every foot. There's people out there for every game, even if it's E.T. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, Which for those too. listening is famously one of the worst games ever created. And actually the cartridges are in a landfill somewhere. <laughs> but I'm sure there are people out there that like it. <laughs> and the fact that so that it has gone to landfills probably weirdly made it a, a collector's <laughs> item, right? Like, <laughs> totally. I bet those cartridges are worth money now. <laughs> I think, um, you know, Funko Pops. I think they've yeah. rec they've recently done a similar thing. I think where it's like they've just produced way too many Funko Pops, and they're <laughs> it's like the end of Toy Story three. They're being like melted down or something. Uh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Oh, yeah. poor Funko Pops. That would be the saddest to like watch one melt. <laughs> Although I bet there's an audience for that mm. too. Oh, definitely. I've, I've started, uh, now that I'm going to say this out loud, I'll see more of it on my 
algorithmic feeds, but I've started seeing people doing a hydraulic crush. I saw one of a PS2 the other day and it made me want to cry, but it was still very watchable. Um, please forward that to me. <laughs> As someone that loves tech, it's a very weird thing to watch tech destruction videos. Mm. Um, but a lot of channels, are, like they'll do them in slow motion. And yeah. like for whatever reason, it's very satisfying to watch. Yeah, definitely. It's like a, like a teardown, but just like way more, uh, way more intense. Uh, intense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a big fan of like story driven RPGs. I was wondering if there's any favorites from that kind of world, that like kind of best stories in games and stuff like that that you'd like to furnish us with. There definitely are. Um, I do love story driven RPGs. As someone that played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons uh, growing up, you know, it's it's very warm to my heart. And I also one of the things I really like about video games is, to me, it's consuming a story. It's like reading a book or watching a movie. Um, except for, in a video game, you are the protagonist. So it's even an even more immersive form of storytelling, if you will. So for me, if I had to give some of my top favorite story-driven RPGs, and I'm going to throw in some that I feel like anyone listening may not have tried yet, as well as the big well-known ones, because if I can introduce you to some of these stories, then that makes me super happy because you'll love them. Um, Near Automata is amazing if you haven't had a chance to play that. Final Fantasy, both 7 and 10, those are my two favorite of the Final Fantasy franchise. So both 7 and 10 are amazing stories. Break out the tissue box. You're going to fall in love with those characters. The Divinity Original Sin franchise, so right now there's Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2. Those games, especially if you like tabletop RPGs, are essentially a tabletop RPG in video game format. They're amazing. The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt video game is one a lot of folks know, especially now that the Netflix series is out. But the books, highly encourage the books. The books are amazing fantasy literature. And uh, The Witcher 3 itself is just a really, really well done game with a beautiful story. Disco Elysium great narrative if you haven't played that and so many different ways you can go with that story. Um, so those would probably be my top five if I had to pick top five. But if I'm allowed honorable mentions, you are, you are. I will shout it out to the Baldur's Gate franchise, not just Baldur's Gate 3, which is, you know, living its best life right now. <laughs> People absolutely are adoring it. But the original Baldur's Gate games as well. Pillars of Eternity, those games are fantastic. Um, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, so yes. good. Fantastic. I see you cheering, Rob, you know. <laughs> and also Undertale is kind of a, a, a sleeper hit in the story-driven RPG department, but one that, like I said, if folks listening have not played, highly encourage you to check it out. It's uh, not super long, so it's one that's easily digestible, but really, really good. Nice. That was an amazing list. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, uh, I was wondering as well, are there any kind of looking to what's upcoming, like games kind of towards the end of this year and, and, and beyond? Is there anything kind of coming up that you're particularly excited about? So many. We are so <laughs> in trouble the end of this year. Uh, if you had any kind of budget that you allow yourself on video games, because I don't know if it's just that everything that was kind of slowed down through the past couple years and the pandemic is now finally ready to go. But there is an onslaught of amazing games coming this Q4. So in September, uh, Starfield, Baldur's Gate 3 is coming to PS5. Fay Farm is a really cute, cozy game that's coming out. Lies of P, which is like a weird Souls-like Pinocchio game that the <laughs> demo's been out for a while. Uh, Mortal Kombat 1 for the Mortal Kombat fans. And Cyberpunk is getting its Phantom Liberty DLC, which I know so many people are hyped for. 
I it was kind of, I feel like in the minority that really liked Cyberpunk when it first released, Bugs and all. Um, but I think people have grown to love it over the years. And it seems like I got to play a demo of the Phantom Liberty DLC at Summer Game Fest this year. And it seems like this might be like Cyberpunk in its final form. So that's really exciting. October, Assassin's Creed Mirage is coming out. The Lords of the Fallen. Alan Wake 2, which I am so hyped for. I'm a huge Remedy Games fan. I love the shared universe that Alan Wake and Control have. Again, I got to see a little demo of that this past summer at Summer Game Fest. And it looks so good. It looks so good. That's going to be my Halloween game this year for sure. But then at the same time as Alan Wake 2, Spider-Man 2 from Insomniac is coming out, which is going to be amazing. Super Mario Brothers Wonder, the first Super Mario Brothers game we've gotten in how many years? And City Skyline 2 is coming out for the sim and management fans out there. So this fall is going to be wild. And for me, I'm someone that tries to play almost every game that comes out. Uh, now, that being said, I do not finish all of those games. It, it would be impossible. Even if I could play games every hour in the day, there are so many great games out right now. There would be no way to finish them all. But I try to play all of them, and I don't know what I'm going to do this fall. Uh, I might just be glued to my gaming PC <laughs> through from September through the end of the year. I don't know. <laughs> it's like the, the half-finished games in the backlog that's like... One day there'll be like this mythical period of time where I can go back and finish them all. And it never comes. Even when COVID happened, this I still didn't manage to finish. Like trapped at home, still got a pile of things I haven't finished. I the list, the running list that's in a sticky note on my PC <laughs> to the left of my screen right now of my video game backlog is it I mean, it's it's all inspiring, really. I don't know how I can have that many unfinished games, but I do. <laughs> yeah. I'm slightly so we're recording this before Starfield comes out. It might come out before the episode goes out. But mm -hmm. I am at this point in time uh, slightly worried about how massive they keep saying Starfield is. It's like, oh, there's a, there's a thousand planets. It's going to take you 200 hours or something. I'm like, but, but please tell, tell me where to go. Show me what to do. Yeah, yeah. Starfield is going to be absolutely massive. And when I think back to the way that I played games as a kid, like video games are really expensive. When we were younger, you know, like they, they're still really expensive, but 50 or $60 back then was even more than 60 or 70 now. And I remember, you know, as a kid, maybe you'd get like your big gift each Christmas or whatever would be one game. And then that one game would have to last you all year. So you could legitimately sink hundreds of hours into one title. And at the time you were like, man, this game's the best because I can play it for hundreds of hours. And so I wonder if like generationally... Those of us who are old enough to afford multiple video games now are like, oh, man, it's too long. <laughs> but maybe the younger kids are still like, thank goodness I've got this game that I can yeah. sink thousands of hours into. I don't know. Maybe it's a, you know, <laughs> maybe it's just a perspective thing at this point. Yeah, that's a good point. People like me and you do not have the most normal relationship with games. So maybe people are more like, oh, I'll come around to that one later once I've finished this one that I'm really yeah. enjoying. Whereas it's like, got to play that as soon as it comes out, if not before <laughs> mentality. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting as well, like you say, about the sense sometimes that games are maybe too big, too long. It's interesting when you kind of see something where they kind of flip it like with assassin's creed mirage where like we're gonna make one that's just like a really lean action game with like a linear story rather than doing like 
a fourth big open world one and i think that's like a really cool decision I, I, like why not why not both why not both i i am personally a fan of linear storytelling over open world i like being given choice in game but not so much that i get distracted and can't finish the main storyline um so let me know kind of like you said with starfield i like let me know where you want me to go and what i'm supposed to do and then if like i see a thing that piques my interest over here i like the freedom to be able to do that but in a truly open world, just do whatever you want game, I find myself very overwhelmed with too many options, if that makes sense. No, it definitely does. I can relate. And it's so refreshing as well when something comes along. And it's actually maybe this is a, a list call I should do of best short games. Like when Stray came out, was it last year or the year before? And it's like five or six hours or something that tells its story. You know, you get all the cute cat stuff that you want. Very, They still kind of change up like the gameplay a few times and like. Well, chef's kiss for that. I loved Stray. Stray was amazing. So good. I'm excited to see what those guys do next. I was wondering, obviously, there's a big kind of techie side to your work. I was wondering if you have like any kind of tech recommendations as someone that I imagine tries a lot of uh, different stuff out of you. Like, oh, if you're making your gaming setup, you should get X, Y, and Z. I mean, honestly, nowadays, it entirely depends on your budget. Consoles are a way to get a great gaming experience at a lower entry price point. And for folks who need the best of the best, the best resolution, the best frame rates, then you can get into the world of PC gaming, whether you buy a pre-built gaming PC or build your own. Um, it, it really just depends where your tastes lie. And I would also say what types of games that you play. Because, I mean, you can build a very, very high-end gaming PC, and if all you're going to play is Stardew Valley... You know, enjoy Stardew Valley and Ultra Wide or whatever you've decided to do. But it's a little bit of overkill, right? So I don't know that there's one gadget that I would recommend for folks in their gaming setup because really, to me, your gaming setup is so much about customization and the way that you play. You could be a sit-on-the-sofa gamer or you could be a I-need-my-gaming-chair gamer. You can be a keyboard mouse or you can be a controller. And you can go funky. You can be like, I want to play... Mortal Kombat 1 on a Guitar Hero peripheral. <laughs> like, there are so many options out there for folks. And uh, a lot of times I get to give recommendations for people and they'll say, you know, like, what do you recommend for me? And the first thing I always say is, what types of games do you play? Like, I, I come back to them with questions because that's really going to tailor the perfect experience for that person. Nice. And uh, sometimes that person will be uh, somebody who wants to play like Elden Ring on a saxophone or something like that. <laughs> You know what? And maybe that's your jam. And honestly, if you are that person, please film it because I would love to watch that. <laughs> it's out there. I'll send it to you. It's out there. <laughs> <laughs> Have you dabbled much in, in VR? Do you think like that's a potential, well, obviously it already exists, but do you think it's going to become like a bigger part of the overall conversation at some point? In VR? Yeah. Oh, I, I like VR. Like for uh, just kind of as a, as someone that likes following gaming tech in general, I think the the VR landscape is really interesting. I also think the AR landscape is really interesting, but in a different way. And at this point, I have not seen any VR software that makes the hardware a must-have. There have been some great VR games out there. Um, in fact, Superhot, which is amazing on PC in general, Superhot VR is kind of how I believe that game is meant to be played. It it really adds something beautiful to it when you can have full body movement and control. But even Half-Life Alex, which was a great VR game, I don't know that that justifies the cost of purchasing the hardware just for that title. I do think that maybe the VR AR scene will become 
more of a must-have, probably more for the AR stuff and how it can be used in day-to-day applications. Um, we've already seen various hardware companies mess around with AR glasses and, you know, being able to superimpose over your glasses, maybe real-time translation or um, step-by-step walking directions, things like that. When that becomes so needed in society, those helpful things are, you know, training surgeons of where they need to do certain things inside a body. I think those AR applications will probably become more of a must-have for folks before video games do in VR. It's just, it's still, even though the price has come down greatly over the years when it comes to virtual reality, I mean, there are headsets now that not only do you need not need to mount cameras all over your room like you used to, uh, but there's some standalone VR headsets that you don't even need a high-end gaming PC to be able to operate or a console to be able to operate, offering a pretty good experience overall. But I still don't know that your average gamer is going to think like, I need to spend $500 on this at this point. Um, I say that as someone who I have tested a lot of the VR headsets. I own quite a few of them. And yeah, to me, it's more of a, a, a space in gaming and tech that I watch with curiosity than that I recommend to people. Absolutely. The only other one I thought was like, had the potential to be like a real system seller was that first Astrobot game on the first PSVR. I thought that was amazing. I'm still like amazed they haven't made a new one for the new PSVR, but that was a great game. Not yet. We're all awaiting it. And honestly, Horizon Call of the Mountain mm. for VR, uh, for PSVR 2 was pretty good. Uh, it ended up kind of feeling like just a, a repetitive climbing sim after a while, but it was beautiful. Um, but we really do, I think, with VR software, moving away from the experiential, like it's a cool experience, and into the it's more of a game with replayability. That's where we might see more of a, oh, this is something I have to have transition amongst consumers. And I have... Some quick fire questions for you, and uh, I think we've already you've already touched on a few of them, so some of these will be slightly obvious. Uh, but first, console or PC? I'm PC first. Uh, solo or multiplayer? Solo for me. That's my me time. <laughs> Same. Gaming chair or sofa? Uh, because I'm PC, it's got to be a gaming chair. Yeah, that would be weird to be like. I, I, I have <laughs> I have I have tried it. I've tried that configuration, and it and it's weird. It's like. Like you get one of those lap things that you can like put your keyboard and mouse on it. Uh-huh. That maybe that's the, if you really wanted to do that combo. I, you know what? I've seen people do those setups <laughs> where they're like in a recliner with a wireless keyboard and mouse on a lap thing. And I don't know that that could be for me. I, <laughs> I'm one of those gamers that has horrible posture. Like I turn into a prawn <laughs> in my chair and that's how I like it. Nice, nice. <laughs> you, you know yourself. Um, obviously, you're more of a PC person, but and also the concept of console wars is quite reductive. But PlayStation or Xbox? Why not both? I, I can't answer. I can't answer that question because yeah. I am someone that has to have. I, I work in the industry. It's one of the perks of my job that I get to have PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, and my PC. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like you say, perk of perk of the job. Yeah. Headphones or sound coming out through the speakers. Believe it or not, I tend to opt for speakers. Um, I have a gaming soundbar that mimics a 7.1 surround sound experience. So when I'm not wearing headphones, sometimes I'll wear headphones, but when I'm not wearing headphones, that's what I prefer to use. And it's mostly because I'm a glasses person and it's hard to find a headset that you can wear with glasses for four plus hours at a time without getting, you know, a little uncomfortable. 
Yeah, same, same, same. And say, hypothetically, you've got a, this kind of mythical free evening in front of you where there's, there's nothing to do but but game. Uh, which which game are you rushing to, to spend some time with right now? Right now, Baldur's Gate 3. I can't, yeah, right now I can't stay away from Baldur's <laughs> Gate 3. It's like the game I think about. I'm like making dinner and I'm thinking about Baldur's Gate 3. I'm reading articles about different people's experiences in Baldur's Gate 3. Um, I'm absolutely adoring that title at the moment. Nice. What kind of um, character build have you, have you gone for? What, what's your vibe? I have a stout heart halfling fighter that is uh, proficient in intimidation. So she's very tiny but very intimidating. And that leads to some really funny dialogue options for me where like whole crews of bandits will run off scared because she said something uh, a little mean. And so that's pretty funny. Are you playing right now? Do you have a character? No, I, I played a bit in the um, early access like years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually can't remember. I think can you make your character be a bard? Because I think I almost, I'm always kind, yeah. of, I'm always oh, kind yeah. of drawn can, to that option. You can be a bard. And the bard is a pretty cool class in that game, too. I also played in early access. Um, but I ended up taking a, a step away from it because, you know, they've released these really big patches and you'd have to start your progress all over. Yeah. And I get so attached to my characters that it, it would break my heart every time they would update it and I'd lose my progress in my character. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait till full release and then I'm diving in. So now that we're in full release, highly recommend. Nice. Yeah, I will. I will. It's on my post-it note. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I know. I get exactly the same. Even if like, I go to an event and play something for like an hour and I'm, I'll be like, sorry, I can't take you with me. Yes. Yeah. Another game like that for me right now is Viewfinder. Oh. I need to finish Viewfinder and I don't think it's a very long game. So it, it is realistically probably one that I could finish, but it's a brilliant little indie game if you haven't tried it. That, Dave the Diver, brilliant little indie game that's out right now that I want to spend more time in. Um, and Palea, uh, at the time we're recording this, at least is in closed beta, but it should be in open beta or perhaps even, I don't, I don't know when it's scheduled to release off the top of my head. Um, but that's another game I'd like to spend more time in. The list grows ever longer. Yeah. <laughs> Things get added more quickly than they get crossed off. That's the... <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, and on this uh, mythical evening in with gaming, have you got uh, kind of any go-to snacks or drinks you want to surround yourself with so you don't have to, you know, leave the keyboard for too long? Um, I do try to keep either coffee or water with me at all times. And if I'm going to get, if I keep a messy snack, like, because I crave salt sometimes while I'm gaming. So like chips or popcorn, but I don't want to get all that gross salt and grease on my keyboard and mouse or if, even controller if it's a controller game. So I, I feel like this is a little unique, but I eat with chopsticks while I'm gaming so that I don't grease up my peripherals. So I keep some chopsticks just off to the side. And like when I'm live streaming, chat will be like, are you eating popcorn with chopsticks? <laughs> yes, I am. And But you know, once you explain why, it totally makes sense. Yeah, it is. I, I, if I was better at using chopsticks, I think I would do that as well. But I'm quite bad with them. So I'd be like... Well, this is how you get better, Rob. Yeah. You practice. <laughs> In fact, and I think you can get ones, the two bits are like attached to each other. So you don't necessarily need to have like the skills. That's true. We have those for my son. They're like little <laughs> training chopsticks that are attached at the top. So you can definitely get those. Yeah. Like a child, I could get them. <laughs> I, you know what, though? No shade. Yeah. Like, that's how you learn. It's how you learn. 
And um, our final question is always kind of if you had only kind of one more life in gaming, there's only kind of one more game that you're kind of allowed to play for some undefined reason. Uh, what game would that be for you that you would kind of commit to spending all your time with and why? I mean, if there's going to be one game that you have to play for the rest of your life, you have to go with something like an MMO because the, it's, they're just so large and the social aspect of it keeps it constantly a living, breathing world. So you'd always have something new to do. So probably like a World of Warcraft which back in the day that I had more time to game, I was heavily into. But yeah, I mean, it, it just stays living and breathing. You can constantly meet new people, find new things to do, and the, the game is being filled with more and more content all the time. Um, now, if I took that aspect out of it, uh, it, then maybe like a Breath of the Wild or a Tears of the Kingdom are a close second because those games are so massive. It does feel like you can always find something else to do, but I'm sure probably like 10 years in, I'd run out of things <laughs> to do in a breath of the wild or a tears of the kingdom, but it would take a long time. Yeah. It would take a long time. Nice. That was a uh, lovely uh, answer there. And it's been so great to speak to you. Thank you so much for taking the time and enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> and good luck Thank with your backlog. Thank you so much for having me. And you know what? Good luck with your backlog <laughs> as well. And your chopstick snacking. Thank you. I'll get some. <laughs> I'll pick some up today. <laughs> thank you for listening to one more life the gaming podcast from radiotimes.com and if you head over to radiotimes.com you'll see gaming in the nav menu at the top of the page click on that and you'll see all the latest gaming news reviews and guides that we've been putting out as well as the links to all our socials and our gaming newsletter we'll be back on this feed soon with some more gaming goodness and until then happy playing